Hey, hey, and welcome to episode 82. After some time off from recording, it's great to be back, and it's great to be able to thank you for noticing the pop-up alert or the social media post that announced the existence of this latest episode, and then deciding to give that little triangle that points to the right a tap in order to give this a play or a download. I don't know if it's your first time listening or your 82nd, but regardless, you're taking the time out of your morning, afternoon, or evening, as the case may be, so thanks for that. I'm your host, Frank, and this is Silver Screeners. We're coming down to the wire as far as Oscar season goes. Won't be long now until Sunday night the 12th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on ABC when return host Jimmy Kimmel takes to the stage and makes his presence known to TV viewers all over the globe. No fewer than 23 Academy Awards will be doled out throughout the ceremony, along with musical numbers, opening monologues that will most assuredly reek of the political, more montages than we'll know what to do with, and, if I'm to be honest... I'll let myself be pecked to death by ducks if there are no references to Will Smith or Chris Rock. A safe bet is at least one, if not two. After all, it's a time-honored tradition at the Academy Awards to make tongue-in-cheek references to Oscar-themed awkward moments and scandals from the past. They did it with Sally Field. And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. They did it with Rob Lowe and Snow White. Oh, Mr. Lowe. I'm such a fan. Really? Well, I'm a big fan of yours, Snow, but you know, there's so much I'd like to know about you. Used to work a lot for Walt Disney, starring in cartoons every night and day. They did it with Envelope Gate when La La Land was Best Picture winner for all of 46 seconds before Moonlight rightfully triumphed. We lost, by the way, but, you know. I'm sorry. No. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. Moonlight won. This is not a joke. And they'll do it again. They milk these moments until they're dry. Sorry, Bessie. So there's nothing for us to do but wait to see what jokes will fly with the eagles and which ones will land with a resounding thud and go the way of the dodo. In today's episode, there are two guests, both of them former high school film students of mine. They're both in their 20s now. Brendan is making his second appearance on this show. He was here last year around this time to talk about his experiences as an aspiring filmmaker, as well as an extra on productions like the pilot episode of HBO's series The Gilded Age, where he can be seen as a footman. Joining Brendan is his good friend Zach, who's joining Silver Screeners for the first time. As is usually the case when someone joins the show, the conversation is pre-recorded, so stick around afterwards for the listener trivia segment. And one more thing. Remember what Lauren Bacall always says, it's not an old movie if you haven't seen it. They're both chock-full of enthusiasm and knowledge about film and the Academy Awards, but I'd rather be talking with them than about them, so without further ado, here we go. Brendan, welcome back to the show. Zach, welcome to the show. I am dying to know what the two of you have been up to. First, let me just say, this is the crossover the Russo brothers wish they could direct. Yeah, so <laughs> since I've been on, because uh, last time we talked about the time I was on the HBO uh, program, and since then, I've actually done two more acting gigs. I was in a scene of the new Whitney Houston film. I'm actually in the trailer. I mean, you have to play Where's Waldo to find me, but I'm there. And I was also in a few episodes of a show called Swagger on Apple TV. It's like a it's a high school basketball game or show with O'Shea Jackson Jr. But a lot of my time has actually been taken up by the fact I'm a, I'm a film production assistant now. For those of you who don't know what that is, who are listening, think of if you see the behind the scenes of a movie and you see a bunch of like 20 somethings running around with coffee and binders. That's that's kind of what I do. And it's been great. I've worked on a movie for a lifetime. 
one for I think it's Netflix and uh, a TV pilot and the work is getting more frequent and I'm really excited to see where it's going to take me. Since this is my first time on the podcast, proper introductions are into are, are required. Uh, me and Brennan have been best friends since, gosh, fourth grade. And Mr. Mendoza has been, was my teacher all throughout high school of me and Brendan. Uh, really, really happy to be on the show. Uh, movies and films have been kind of, um, they've held a really important part in my heart for a very long time. I mean, that's where me and Brendan became friends. That's how me and Mr. Mendoza connected. For me right now, I'm a year out of college. And I'm just about to start a career as a criminal investigator for the Department of Defense. And I'm moving to Illinois in about 10 days. So podcast landed on a good time in the middle of my packing. But it's nice to be able to sit down, relax, and just focus on something like cinema and film for even a couple hours. So thank you very much for having me on the show. Oh, my God. Anytime. Yes. <laughs> I had no idea, Brendan, that you were in the Whitney Houston movie. Where exactly? Which scene? Or what was it? Um, so I'm in the, I'm in this, the national anthem scene. They do like a crowd shot. I'm just like one of thousands of people there. I mean, they, they kind of copy and pasted us. There's probably only about a hundred of us. They filmed at Gillette stadium in Foxborough. They, yeah, they just filled the stadium with us. Uh, and so for like a very brief second, they show this crowd shot. You, I'm wearing like a members only jacket. I'm in this, this kind of early nineties get up. Well, of the thousands, some people out there, you were my favorite, Brendan. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> So we're here to talk about our predictions for the 95th Annual Academy Awards. How's about we begin with production design? Ooh. Sure. And the nominees are All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, The Way of Water, Babylon, Elvis, and The Fablemans. I think that it's going to go to Babylon because the Academy, they like big sets. They like big, lavish sets. However, I could see it going to Avatar 2. Because it was kind of a different way that they made a movie. Like it was it was very unique to that movie. And you see the just the kind of like the sets that they had to build for the coral reefs and everything like that. So personally, I think it's going to go to Babylon, but I would not be surprised if it went to uh, Avatar. Yeah, this was really tough looking at all of the options that were coming up. I mean, All Quiet, Avatar, Babylon, Elvis, The Fablemans, they were all very, very visually stunning movies in everything that went into them like what you see on screen is just wow i think as well that babylon is my pick i i really think babylon is going to be the one to win i would love to see maybe all quiet win because those trenches and trenches, a lot of yeah. yeah the trenches throughout the movie and even the destroyed buildings and the buildings they were hiding in that was that, like, that was so well put together from everything that that was the the structures, the bunkers, the platforms, the the emplacements, the sand, everything was so perfectly put together. Um, I would love for it to go to All Quiet in the Western Front, but I think it, it's going to go to Babylon. That's exactly where I fall to. You know, it's divided into what you want to win and what you think will win. I'd love to see it go to All Quiet, but I think Babylon is the one that's taken at home. Yeah, a lot of mine have uh, two marks. The one that I would love to see win and the one that I think would actually <laughs> <Yeah>. win. <laughs> and the Academy loves Damien. Uh, I, I, feel yeah. they, I feel like they kind of have a bias towards him. Mm -hmm. Between Whiplash and La La Land and First Man, I mean, yeah. They, yeah, no, they've shown the love. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's not to belittle Babylon, because Babylon, no. those sets were incredible. They were great. Uh, house party scene and it was just complex and it was just bright and colorful and everything on screen looked amazing 
Let's move on to Best Sound, where the nominees are Top Gun Maverick, Elvis, The Batman, Avatar The Way of Water, All Quiet. Maverick. They definitely want to give it something, uh, because it was just such a cultural impact of the movie. It was such a surprise hit. And I think it's like domestically the fifth or sixth highest grossing movie of all time. And they don't want it to walk away empty handed. And that's an easy one to give it to. And also the sound design was very good in it. Like just uh, seeing it in an IMAX theater, the the sound of the jets and everything. However, I could also see it going to Avatar. I, I made a mental note when I saw it of just the, the underwater sort of sounds and everything. But I could also even see it going to All Quiet. But I, I think it is going to go to Maverick, what I, I think. But I think it's, I wouldn't be surprised if it falls to Avatar or All Quiet. Yeah, Avatar really hit the mark on every technical aspect of its filmmaking. Uh, and that's what's so hard. And that's why it got nominated for so many things is just because it, it did so many things technically right from sound, cinematography, visual effects, makeup, everything about it. They did really, really well. This is another one where I was split and All Quiet was what I was split on. Um, I thought All Quiet sound design was amazing. I thought the silence built the stress of a lot of these moments and the tension so well. And the way they played with silence, because I remember as I was watching it and just sitting in these moments when there was just quiet, I felt the stress everyone else felt. And then bullets whizzing by and bouncing off and, and the gunshots and explosions I thought were so good. So I would I really would love to see this go to All Quiet as well. Um, and it's really easy for war movies to hit it with sound design because so much of the tension of battle comes from the sounds you're hearing. That kind of sound design is just perfect for filmmaking because you have so much you can do with it. So I think Top Gun Maverick or All Quiet, I'm very split between the two. I think the studio and uh, the Academy is going to go for, for Maverick, though, uh, like Brendan was saying, but... I would love for All Quiet to get it. I'm with you there. I don't want to see Elvis get it. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> yeah, his movies are uh, obnoxious. I would say, like they're they're very. <laughs> I mean, I get that that's his thing, but they're edited like trailers. They're they're two and a half hour trailers. Even when I was 14 or so, watching Romeo plus Juliet, uh, I was like, this feels like I'm just watching a trailer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Elvis. Oh, man. Elvis was a hard movie for me to watch through. I actually didn't finish Elvis. Really? Um, I got wow. like with 20, 30 minutes left and I was like, I'm just kind of bored. That's cause... where it kind of falls off. The first half of Elvis is much better than the, the yeah, second I, half. Yeah, I liked the first half. I could, I did not like the second half. And I just, I'm over musical biopics. They're, <laughs> They're just so kind of cut and paste. This is I exactly, like yes. And that was my trouble with Elvis. You, you can do a lot with music for sound design, but it wasn't for me at the end. At like least. The, the Academy stepped over the Weird Al biopic. For the, give me a <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Somewhere Daniel Radcliffe is shaking his fist at the clouds. <laughs> so I'm with you. I think it'll go to, I think it'll go to Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. As far as visual effects, All Quiet in the Western Front. Avatar, you see a pattern here. It's pretty much <laughs> <laughs> All Quiet, Avatar, The Batman, Top Gun Maverick, Black Panther. I mean, I should on. say Wakanda I, yeah, forever. Give me a break. <laughs> is, that, is that really? Is, that really is a it a competition? Is it one? Well, no. to be to be fair, hold on. What Star Trek, which was known for its makeup, lost to Suicide Squad. Uh, that was, so that was there. <laughs> there is the slight plus. I'm, I'm kidding. It's going to go to Avatar: Way of Water. Yeah. Um, there, there's no way it's not going to Avatar. So I think a more fruitful conversation would be if. Avatar was absent, what would be in its place? Personally, I think All Quiet 
the tank scene alone was very seamless. Uh, and yeah, a lot of like just the planes in the air. So in it, Black Panther 2 got nominated. And it, it's funny that I almost feel bad for them because that movie has blue people underwater as well. But they, mm. they're in competition with one that is guaranteed <laughs> to win. See, I actually don't think if Avatar wasn't there, I don't think it would go to All Quiet. The tank so? scene actually took me out of it because when the tank when the really? tank got up close, it just didn't look right to me. I think All Quiet really, really did good with the dirt and the mud and the practical effects that they used there, and like the visual effects with like bullets and explosions going around. I think those were great, but when it came to those bigger items, like even the planes in the sky, I just I looked at it and I could tell. Um, well, also the set extension, uh, like the the no man's land looked very yeah, that, so yeah, that the no man's land, yeah, that's true, the no man's land. But um, I think if Avatar wasn't there personally, I thought the visual effects of Batman. I was about to say yeah, the Batman also like the I think I heard the other day I I could be wrong about this, but the highway chase scene was all or mostly CG, mm-hmm. which which is impressive. Yeah. It, it looked. I was wondering like, how did they did they close off like a highway to do this? Yeah, yeah. And I mean it was it was ripped almost out of the dark night and yeah. those chases through there. And I, I felt the same kind of energy. And that was practical for the most part. Was it as good as the Dark Knights? No, <laughs> no, but... no but it was close. <laughs> yeah. But I just think of the scenes where they were where uh, uh Batman was in a dark hallway and only illuminated by the muzzle. Oh player. yeah. Like, mm. wow. That was just when I saw that and like just cinematic i was like that is amazing that was so cool to watch the stadium um, at the end where the, the, the mayor wins was very definitely a set extension there so yeah yeah I, I probably if avatar wasn't didn't come out this year yeah probably the batman would win i, yeah. I would think yeah and no, i think avatar has this one in the bag i mean there was never a moment in that theater that i didn't believe what i was looking at wasn't like was real if only they trimmed Avatar a little bit. <laughs> I, Which actually I... <laughs> is a good segue to the next category, film editing. So oh. here we have Banshees of Inisharan. We have Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once. We have Top Gun Maverick, and we have Tau. I love film editing as a category. I was really mad when it wasn't in the Oscars last year. I think film editing mm. is really the backbone. The director it should have a, it has a very heavy hand involved in that. Yeah, the director tells you what go like puts what's on screen. They they tell what the actors should do, this or that. But the editing determines the entire pacing and flow of the story. And if you mess up on editing, doesn't matter how good of a director you are, the film is terrible. And good editing can make a terrible film really, really good and unique. So I was so upset when they took this away because film editing has been kind of my passion since high school. That's like what I really focused in. When me and Brendan used to make films, I was always the guy editing it. And I always really loved being able to change how a story is told just from the editing. It's one of those skills you can introduce to younger students or younger filmmakers relatively easily because there's so many free programs now like DaVinci Resolve. There is one that comes free with Windows. So like that's something that a kid could grind and learn pretty efficiently on his own. So yeah, film editing has always been very important to me. My pick definitely would be Everything Everywhere. Um, I mean, there are some of the most famous moments from that movie have to do with its editing. I could see it going to Maverick, especially because of just like the uh, the mission at the end. I am stressed at the thought of Elvis winning and it might like there was the the scenes in the international where he's like 
doing a bow and it shows him all the different Elvis costumes. And I was like, this is just very noisy editing. It's very obnoxious. So, and it, it might, because it, I don't know, I don't have much faith in the Academy when it comes to editing because they gave it to Bohemian Rhapsody. I was just about to say. Some of the worst <laughs> editing I've ever seen. The backlash oh, when that movie no. got editing. I'll never forget that. It was so bad. I remember just watching like conversations of them sitting and the amount of cuts between talking and everything and who was talking and showing what I was so angry. I don't want to get started. Like I think it's the part of the reason it won was because there was this sob story of how Brian Singer like quit the film and there was all these stories like, oh, the editor saved the movie. He he came in and he stepped up and the movie wouldn't have been the same without him. It was just this total sob story for them to win. The editing of Elvis really, like, I it was unique. They were doing some really cool stuff, I think, with, like, showing the, like, putting the old footage of Elvis in between cuts. And when they did the multi multiple panels, they like some sure. of those some of those things was was like original Elvis footage, and like they were doing some fun stuff with that, and and they were doing stuff showing Elvis moving around and and things happening. Like there was definitely purpose behind the editing, but it, I think noisy was the right word. It felt very noisy editing and everything ever all at once to tie together a movie about multiple dimensions in the way that this multiple dimension movie worked where it wasn't just like dimension hopping like you had in multiverse of madness it wasn't dimension hopping like in the old tv show sliders it was you're mentally connecting to another dimension and it was very creative pulling that in which was super creative and, and then you can see it visually <laughs> the connections yeah, and then at the end when they're constantly hopping between all the dimensions because they're everywhere all at once, right? When they go everywhere and they 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 fracture everything or um, however they described it and they kept cutting between dimensions and they kept a coherent storyline for the viewers to follow. Yeah, if it doesn't go to everything ever all at once, I'm going to be upset. No, it'll it'll definitely be a real crime committed by the academy. I I vote for everything everywhere. I can see Top Gun being a very close second, but if it goes to Elvis, then I throw in the towel. Yeah. You know, some people, like you were talking about how they were intercutting the original footage, the actual footage of the real Elvis. Some may call that, oh, how seamless that was, skilled editing. To me, it was a distraction because it became a game of, okay, is that Austin Butler or is that the real thing? That took me away from that movie was you find yourself, despite yourself, playing that mm-hmm. little game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Makeup and hairstyling. We have The Whale, Elvis, Wakanda Forever, The Batman, All Quiet on the Western Front. I think it's going to The Batman. Like, part of the the bigger discussion around The Batman was the fact that nobody knew that was Colin Farrell until after the fact. So, like, even I didn't. Like, I tried to find, like, Colin Farrell in all that makeup, and I I just couldn't. I'm like, that's the guy from In Bruges? I could see it going (laughs) to The Whale, and can I can I just also say, it's not that it's like an issue or anything, but I don't know. It seems like the last few years, good makeup has equaled a lot of fat suits. Like, I mean, three <laughs> of the five nominations this year is The Batman, Elvis, The Whale, and even just going back a couple of years ago to Vice, uh, where Christian Bale played Dick Cheney. It's a lot oh, of right. a lot of fat suits. And a lot of it looks good. I mean, I, I thought the makeup in Elvis was kind of terrible. Yeah, I, I think it's going to The Batman. But I wouldn't be surprised if it goes to the whale. So I think the Batman and whale are kind of up there for the exact same reasons. Just like you said, you have somebody that's completely transformed yeah. to look completely different, right? Like 
I didn't believe who the penguin was, and I was like, what? No, and but the, for the same reason, the whale I think is is kind of in the same playing field, and because the Batman and the whale I feel kind of even, it's tough. I want this to go to all quiet. When you look at photos of the main character Paul when he's first signing up versus halfway through the movie versus the mud that they put on his face. And people don't really consider mud and dirt part of makeup, but the mud caked onto his face. And at the end, spoiler like alert. 30 seconds ahead. Spoiler <laughs> alert. The ending of All Quiet. When you see him dead, just, and it freezes on his face. It was it a different person. Yeah. It was a different person. And, and the way they made mm. them look like malnourished and the way they made them look like dirty and, and just like their teeth, even the way their teeth changed in the movie. Okay. I thought that was just me. They did change no. then. Yeah. This is going to sound so strange. I know, but I was zoning in on the jawline <laughs> and I was there like, mm-hmm. if those are his real teeth and they probably, there's no way they could be. That must yeah. be part of the thing, part of the makeup and hairstyling. Mm-hmm. That's the reason why I think this is going to all quiet. I'm going to go against the yeah. grain here. I like, oh. like, I feel like, again, I'm doing the same thing. Like, it's hard because I feel like I'm going against the grain and I want to be right. And I feel like the Academy is really going to try and give this to Elvis, but I, I'm going all in on all quiet. If they gave it to Elvis, all those prosthetics on Tom Hanks face, I'm sorry. It just looked like egg. <laughs> it did not look good. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're talking about fat suits. We got Elvis, we got the whale and we got the Batman <laughs> making people look fat. I think this is going to go to all quiet. I think they... They nailed the look of everyone at the right moments uh, in these movies, in, in that movie. So Yeah. Cinematography. All Quiet, Elvis, Empire of Light, Ta, Bado, False Chronicle of A Handful of Truths. All Quiet. I think it's going to go to All Quiet. All Quiet. All it was Quiet. the most horrifically beautiful movie I've seen all year. Yeah. It- it was almost heartbreakingly beautiful in, in the shots and, and the framing. And it was like, I am looking at horrible things, but it's beautiful at the same time. This probably is not fair for me to say, but when you compare it to the 1931 version, which you can't, I know you can't, but <laughs> but I am going to anyway. So <laughs> the one shot from, oh, is it 1930? The one shot from the black and white version of All Quiet that has never left my mind is actually from the very beginning when they're all in the classroom mm. and they're daydreaming as they're being given yeah. the speech. And you have the dissolve to the mother who, you know, he comes in, he's imagining himself coming into the room dressed up in the outfit and the mother's horrified reaction, the father's proud reaction. And then once the speech finishes, you see them all, these close-ups of their faces and they have these wild, campy expressions. Their eyes are wide and they're practically trolling napkins over their heads going, yeah, yeah. And let's just say that this time around, it was an improvement. <laughs> i know that's not fair i know that's not fair it was 19 I'm, it was the early 1930s it's not fair but there it is all quiet <laughs> has has moved up on my list is possibly my favorite war movie it's it's up there for my favorite war movie of all time um it, it was a film it's a story that was worthy of a retelling for a very long time and i was surprised it took this long and I had always, like, even when we read the story back in high school, mm-hmm. I had thought like this would make for a great like modern war movie, and this is this one was better than I thought a modern remake would be. 
And I also think it, it is benefited from the fact that it is a German production, that it it was a, a film that came from like yeah. where the, the story originated. Yeah. Um, which adds to the authenticity and you can tell the director really cares about the story. Yeah. And and most war movies tend to serve some anti-war like purpose, you know, like a lot of people say American Sniper is an anti-war movie because it's, it's showing, you know, brutalities of war. But I think All Quiet on the Western Front from the, the, the story itself is designed to show the, the needlessness and purposelessness of war. Like World War One is the most convoluted, gunged up war that there ever was. And it shows it perfectly, yeah. it, especially at the end when the, you know that you know it's signed. And the general says, go fight one last fight. And you look at the watch and say, this war's over in 15 minutes. And then at the end, when enemies are walking right past each other in the trenches, going picking up dog tags, like enemy opposing opposition, they walk right past each other and don't even glance at each other. When five minutes ago, they were trying to kill each other. At least like from the soldier's perspective, you know, like, yeah, there's there's all there's good reasons to go to war sometimes. I mean, <laughs> World War Two. Right. But man, if war for the soldiers is not brutal, that movie definitely showed it. Nobody got a heroic death in that movie. No, no. no. I mean, Paul, the, that final scene, Paul died essentially to feed that general's ego to, to mm-hmm. go out one last battle. Uh, mm-hmm. And even I'm blanking on his name, but his friends that he robbed the farm with, he died yeah. for essentially nothing. Eggs. 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 Yeah. Costume design. Babylon, Wakanda forever. Elvis, everything everywhere. Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. And I'm sorry, but this one, it pains me to say this. I kind of see this one going to Elvis. So Elvis is the to. one I think I it do. will go to. Everything everywhere is the one that I want it to go to. Yeah, my original prediction was everything everywhere, but the more I think about it, I think because he was in the iconic white Elvis suit and like the the pink suit at the beginning, which also I kind of turned into a little bit of an Elvis nerd after I watched this. I went back and watched some of his terrible movies that he made, like Viva Las Vegas. I don't think he ever <laughs> actually wore that pink suit, or at least like the way they show it, because it looked awful. And I was like, why would he ever wear that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I do think the Academy, they do, they definitely like it when there's something familiar to them. Like, oh, I know the white Elvis suit. Mm. Uh, like I said, I would, I would really like it to go to everything everywhere. I did watch like 20 minutes of Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. I originally thought because they like to give it sometimes to movies about dressmaking or costume design. But yeah, I think it, it might be going to Elvis this time around. I also, I actually really think it's going to Elvis as well. Uh, that, that was my number one pick. I think not just because of Elvis, but they showed time progressing in the changing of style throughout the entire movie. Mm. You saw the men, their outfits and dress changes and the women, their outfits and dress changes. And you knew that we were getting into a more modern time period because of the way people were dressed. The way Priscilla, ha- like she would dress in all these. Mm-hmm. They didn't uh, have to specifically post time. Yeah, the colonel especially. Like they didn't have to specifically say this many years later. It's just they're all dressed different now. And I actually thought that the the costume design in, the, in that in Elvis was pretty spot on. As much as I, I didn't enjoy that movie. I gotta be honest, I didn't enjoy it. So I am gonna be very overly critical of it. And it's probably just because I'm burnt out on biopics, especially musical biopics. But the costume design I thought was really on point. Well, that takes care of the technical awards. Let's move into the two music categories, original score and original song. 
The original score nominees are for All Quiet, Babylon, Banshees of Inisherin, Everything Everywhere, and The Fablemans. I think it's going to Babylon, I think, because something that the Academy likes, and I, I'm also a fan of, is reusing the same theme, but doing it in different styles of music. Like, I, what was their names? Manny and Nelly. They had like a theme. Uh, but it's done in all these different ways. Like it's done in a freak jazzy kind of way. It's done in a slow, somber kind of way. Uh, and also the opening theme when they're at the party. Very catchy. I, I think I heard Justin Herwin, Justin Hurwitz uh, in an interview saying that he wanted it to be a cross between 1920s jazz and modern like house party music. And I could feel that kind of in its kinetic energy. I could also see it going to the Fablemans as kind of like, I think John Williams said this is his last movie. I mean, he says that every movie he makes now, but. Yeah. Um, so he pretty much Tom Brady's his way through a lot of his work. So exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think they might give this to him as kind of like a legacy award because it was good music. Uh, I mean, half of it was made up of, other composers compositions but mm -hmm. so i think it's going to babylon but i could see it going to the tablemans this was ooh, there's a lot of topics that i really care about editing is one of them and this is the the, uh, the second topic that is like the most important to me because a film's score can completely change like editing your interpretation of the film because music is our emotional connection that's how we emotionally link with things yeah words and spoken and, and performances can, can really draw you in. But depending on what music you put behind the words spoken will completely change how you feel about a scene. Baby Driver, where the music mm. was the driving director of the scene. It was, it was directed to the beat of the music. So score is so important. And that's why I was so disappointed with All Quiet and the Banshees of Inisherin. Both of them had very notable musical beats. All Quiet used this, it was almost like an electric, electric guitar, guitar riff. Yeah. But it was the same riff over and over again, used at different times. And it was done very, very well. And I thought it was very unique, but didn't wasn't enough no. to be a whole score. It was it was just like when it was used, it was great. It was really good. But it wasn't a whole score, and the Banshees of Inisherin had the same. Felt like it was the same song playing at the same, at, at, like that, like the one song over and over again, give you the same emotion, but it was just used over and over again, which I thought it it was great for the movie and the music really fit, but it just didn't feel like that's what was connecting you to what you were seeing, and that's what was driving your emotions. I'm I'm there with Babylon and the Fablemans. Uh, I think, Brendan, you have a really good point that this could go to the Fable and Fablemans just because it's John Williams. The Academy likes to do that. But I would like this to go to Babylon. As far as original song, we have Applause from Tell It Like a Woman, Hold My Hand from Top Gun Maverick, Lift Me Up from Wakanda Forever, Natu Natu from Ah Ah Ah, and This Is a Life from Everything Everywhere. I think that it's going to go to Natu Natu because it was elevated by the visuals like that the dance number it's very fun it's very bollywood i do think that's kind of a detractor though because i think a song should work independently from the visuals but it's it's a song that made a bit of a cultural impact it's very different and i think the academy they would like to say oh we've we've nominated a bollywood uh song which i could be wrong here um 
but I don't think they've done before. And typically the songs that they they do nominate or they win is kind of the same things over and over. However, I personally think, I really think it should go to This Is A Life From Everything Everywhere. I thought that was the most unique song. I thought it was the lyrically the most creative. I could, however, also see it going to either Hold My Hand or Lift Me Up. I think maybe Lift Me Up a little bit more because that movie was just kind of like the way that song was used kind of elevated the fact that Chadwick died and um, was kind of an emotional core of of that element of the movie. But then the song applause. I don't know what the hell is going on there that like I looked up that movie. What was it? Tell it like a woman. It has like what 200 ratings on IMDb. Like it, I don't, was it a placeholder or something? I don't know, but that was a weird one for me, but yeah. There was a lot of controversy uh, like said, think, with this. With this, um, sorry, you go ahead. You finish. I think I think it's gonna go to Natsutantu. I would like it to go to This Is a Life. I don't think that's gonna happen, but yeah. Some people were really upset that uh, Taylor Swift didn't actually get a nomination here. Um, and when I listened to a lot of these, like applause, just didn't seem like it. It made sense to be nominated here. It just also wasn't a good song. It, I thought it, it wasn't was a, bad a song. great song. And it felt like that's where Taylor Swift's song from where the crawdads sing should have been. It, like, like it should have been in that slot because I feel that was a better song when I saw that movie. And a lot of people were kind of upset uh, that that didn't get a nomination. So it's kind of weird. Um, I think this is going between Lift Me Up and Not To Not To. I predict Not To Not To. I agree, Brendan, that this song didn't work on its own. I did not like mm-hmm. listening to the song on its own, but it worked really well with with the visuals. That's also not how an original song should work. And I don't really think not to not to. I think it was fun, but listening to it, they used a lot of kind of cliche musical moments as far as like um, a lot of like the digital technical music that I've that I've, I've just you know I've heard repeated over and over again, right? But I thought it was really fun and unique. But I, I think not to not to is what's going to win it. And also, I, I will say that. Of all categories, the best song category is the most popularity contest in yeah. any of them. It's very, whatever song is the most popular. Is well, then it's going to go to Lift Me Up. International feature film. Now, hear me out. Okay. <laughs> uh, so oh, we okay. have The Quiet Girl, EO, Close, Argentina 1985, All Quiet on the Western Front, and The Cynical Side of Me is saying that this is going to be another Pan's Labyrinth situation where it's the front runner. It's the one that's most familiar to people. It's the one that's brilliantly made. And then, I don't know, I see Argentina 1985, sort of the lives of others, all quiet on the Western Front, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Now, with that said, I want All Quiet to get it. I think it's going to go to All Quiet because also... I've noticed that it's kind of a trend, whereas the international film that gets the most national recognition is the one that wins, uh, like Drive My Car last year. Not to say that that's a bad movie, but that was the only one that kind of made any kind of cultural impact last year, which I think kind of been it, it benefited from that. So, again, I think it's going to all I do think it's going to go to All Quiet, especially since it has so many other nominations. But yeah, I, I could also see it going to Argentina in 1985. I really, I, I can't see it going to anyone but, but All Quiet. I mean, if you're going for best international feature film, All Quiet's the only one that has nominations in plenty of other categories. 
I mean, just the fact alone that it was nominated for other categories means that shouldn't it be outdoing these other international films in those categories as well? Otherwise, they would be nominated too. But then again, nominations is purely based on the studio just pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And All Quiet had Netflix behind it. Argentina 1985 was, I think, phenomenal. I think it was really, really well done. But I can't imagine this going to anything but All Quiet. This is a category that I was nervous about introducing, but it's just simply a matter of me reading the titles and that's it and that's all. <laughs> I think you know where I'm going with this one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Animated short film. So we have The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse, The Flying Sailor, Ice Merchants, My Year of Dicks, and An Ostrich Told Me the World is Fake and I Think I Believe It. And I see it going to the second-to-last title that I mentioned simply for the audience reaction. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if Riz Ahmed had the reaction he did when he announced that title, <laughs> yeah. you know, they're going to milk this one for all it's worth. It's just, I feel like that's part of the reason why they even nominated but it's kind of a win-win because the academy they get their clips they get their retweets and their mm-hmm. uh youtube views uh, on that and so yeah I know, that I, one i wanted to go to the boy the mole the fox and the horse though i think that one's gonna win if if they decide to not go a very meme kind of humorous route with it yeah mm-hmm the house like the animation style enjoyed the story like i enjoyed what i was watching that one the most um these were pretty easy to kind of put on and then click through the shorts always are yeah i mean it could go to the second to last one absolutely and i think it was it was good but i i don't know i think the boy the mole the fox and the horse has a reasonable chance i would hope at least that's my vote and live action short film we have an irish goodbye the red suitcase night ride I took Spanish, not French. Is it pronounced Le Pupel? Not sure. <laughs> and Eva Lou? I think it's going to go to uh, Le Pupil. It's because the short film category, the nominees are usually very hard to find, which I think is kind of an inherent problem with bigger budget short films. And that one, I think, is on Disney+. Plus, So I think that kind of benefits from it. Uh, and also, it would have... Disney money behind it, which is too bad because I feel like of any category that you can elevate amateur filmmakers or younger filmmakers, it's the live action short category. But I think it's it's also at times it is a popularity contest. So I think it's going to go to uh, let people. Yeah, I kind of agree for the same reasons. I didn't have too many notes on the short film live action. I liked an Irish goodbye a lot. I think for the same reason it's going to go to let people. Yeah, same here. Same here. Speaking of short films, we have documentary short film. The Elephant Whisperers. How do you measure a year? The Martha Mitchell Effect, Stranger at the Gate, and Hall Out. So this is the one where I haven't seen any from this category. So I, ha- I have Neither no have I. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't watch it. I have no notes in this one either. Again, they're very hard to find. Some of them are on Netflix, but that was the only ones I could find. And I... I did not try to find any more. I kind of quickly looked it up and wasn't readily available for what I had. And that's just unfortunate about documentaries, just documentaries in general. A lot of people don't watch them unless they have a big name behind them or are on a big topic. Animated feature film, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I don't even think I need to read off the rest because I think it's going to that one. (laughs) Marcel the Shell with Shoes on, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, the Sea Beast, Turning Red. 
So I think Zach and I, uh, you and I were talking about this yesterday. I'm pleasantly surprised by this year because usually this category is kind of a joke. They just give it to whatever Disney has and Disney yeah. and Pixar were kind of weak. What do they have? Like Lightyear and I don't know what else. Uh, and they didn't even try with that one. But I think everything in this this category, except for Turning Red, I wouldn't be disappointed. By. I, it's going to go to Pinocchio. The Academy likes Guillermo. Uh, it's elevated by the fact that there were like 37 other Pinocchio movies that came out last year. And this is the one that's like, no, guys, this is this is a, actually a good one. This is the one that's good. And also it was very unique for a Pinocchio movie. The optimistic side of me could see it also going to either Puss in Boots or Marcel the Shell. Although I, I will say Marcel, it, it kind of pushes it because it's only like half the movie is animated. It's not like a completely animated movie. Like there, there are full entire scenes that are live action. It's good to see because it's based on YouTube shorts. And I, I like to see that when smaller filmmakers are elevated. But yeah, I, I think it's, it's going to Pinocchio. It's it's hard when Pinocchio was just was there. His <laughs> <laughs> presence on the list alone yeah, is enough to it's just, it's, make it's the other four nominees run away. I was shocked at how good Puss in Boots: The Last Wish was, though. It was very good. Yeah, the fight and the animation for all the fights was really fun. Uh, it had a lot of energy behind them, and there were a lot of frames and moments that they you could hold on for to for a bit. The Sea Beast was very well animated. The water, yeah, like. The, the water looked almost real and they did so good with that. I think the sea beast, unfortunately, was way too cliche and trope tropey. It was bogged it was down the, by an okay script. Yeah, it was the rough, hardened warrior who learns from the spunky youngster. I mean, how many times have we seen that in recent? You know, I mean, Mandalorian is on season three now. The Witcher's on season three now. Uh, just like the the big name recent ones, that terrible Halo show did kind of the that, same thing. But I don't I don't want to talk about that show. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, I mean, <laughs> How to Train Your Dragon, like it was very How to Train Your Dragon esque. It was the same kind of feeling. I really liked how the Sea Beast though told a story that wasn't about oh the humans are bad for hunting monsters, stop hunting them, like How to Train Your Dragon did. It was the humans and monsters have been fighting for hundreds of years neither side is right here and both sides kind of had to give up on their their grudge i really like the marcel the shell of shoes on even got nominated yeah i'm happy that it got nominated. i don't think it's it, it was really in competition unfortunately no like, sometimes with certain candidates the the nomination itself is the award yeah yeah, yeah. uh turning red i disliked i just didn't connect with it it, it was just not for me i can see how it connects with other people the subject matter, I could see that being important to certain people, but the story was as cliche as you could get with the whole... The liar reveal, like, trope in stuff of, oh, you were doing this the whole time, the, the friends temporarily abandoning the, the main character is something that's annoyed me for a very long time before this movie, so... There was nothing. I, there was a few visual gags I liked in this movie, and that was the the most I took away from it. I just didn't know what the message was supposed to be. Was it supposed to be that puberty sucks? Was it supposed to be that your friends are really important? Was it supposed to be a story of a mother and daughter reconnecting? Because I never, I didn't understand their relationship because it seemed like they had a great one. Was it supposed to be about family pressure and the generation, generational family pressure? Was it supposed to be about accepting who you are and how that's great? 
was supposed to be about how we think that we may have evil thoughts or do bad things, but that doesn't make us evil people and how we have to accept that. I, I didn't know what the story was supposed to be I, I about. It just, there were too many like possible messages. Like it's like, oh, it's a coming of age story. I was like, but which coming of age? Like, <laughs> like, like it's not the Goonies, you know, <laughs> it's not one adventure before we all leave and part ways. There were too many, it had a message issue. I couldn't focus on one of them. It tried to throw way too many things in, you know, and that was my issue with that. So, I mean, yeah, I'm discussing everything else because it's hand downs and this is going to Pinocchio. The stop motion animation in Pinocchio, they, they were just, the, it was the little things, you know, it was, it was when he was picking things out of the bucket and he slips or, or mm. it was those little moments in, in the stop motion that really sell it. The way that practical light was animated, like when the, the fairy would just kind of have this like blue kind of like, corona discharge around her was it was clear that Guillermo like he knew that a story about like a wooden boy would be told best in stop motion and I'm a sucker for a really good stop yeah I love the medium of stop motion and this is some of the best I've seen in a while like it Mm -hmm. it reminded me of I think I looked it up there's a show called Moral Oral it's an adult swim show which is also has very very good stop motion and i think some of the the lead animators from that worked on this uh, mm. and if i can go off on one slight tangent i don't think the political substance of the film hurt either i think that's going to appeal <laughs> to a lot of academy voters <laughs> it's pinocchio oh with mussolini oh oh <laughs> <laughs> we now have the four acting categories director and picture so let's begin with Supporting actress. Okay. Ooh, this is a good one. Jamie Lee Curtis, I can see getting the Oscar for sort of a sort of a career capper. Career. Mm. And she, and she's good in the movie. She really she's really very good. And I do think she's she's good with drama. She's good with comedy. And she's always been an extremely vocal cheerleader for all of her projects. She's very yeah. active on social media in terms of social causes. She has a lot of friends. You don't really hear about her having too many enemies in Hollywood or, you know, rubbing people the wrong way. So I can yeah. see it sort of going to her as sort of a you know, show business royalty, you're descended from show business royalty. Her parents are both nominated. Neither one of them won. So I think her narrative has a lot going for it. But then we have Carrie Condon from the Banshees of Inna Sharon. I don't think they're going to want to see Banshees go home empty-handed either. Mm-hmm. So I can see Carrie Condon sort of Juliet Benoshing her way into, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis's Lauren Bacall territory. Yeah. Her performance was very good. I I actually almost put it on my predictions list, uh, Carrie Condon. But yeah, it could be one of those. Let's not have Banshees walk away empty-handed. Who else was nominated this year? Hung Shao for The Whale. Stephanie Shu for Everything Everywhere and Angela Bassett for Wakanda Forever. I could also see it going to Angela Bassett. I, I think partly because of, of a career, sort of yeah. a, a scent of a woman, uh, a, a win, if you will. But yeah, yeah. I, personally, I think it's going to Carrie Condon, but I could totally see it going to either Angela Bassett or Jamie Lee Curtis. I couldn't pick between Angela Bassett, Carrie Condon, or Jamie Lee Curtis. I I was, it was tough i liked all of their performances fairly equally i would like you to go to jamie lee curtis <laughs> just in order to act in that movie and and switching between those personalities it's like that alone acting with hot dogs on your fingers 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> um, I don't know. And take me seriously. Like, um, I th- I think Jamie Lee Curtis might be the top contender. And my my vote, my prediction. Ooh, it's tough because you got to take politics into it nowadays, right? My prediction, because I know who it's going to go for a supporting actor. So I don't know if they'll do the same movie for for supporting actress. Uh, it's, it's just tough between Angela Bassett, Carrie Honda, and Jamie Lee Curtis. I can't, I can't, it's so hard to pick. And I would say that I think that Jamie Lee Curtis and Stephanie Hsu, because they're both nominated for the same movie, might cancel each other out. But mm. Stephanie Shu really, she doesn't have an Oscar campaign that's really gained a lot of traction. No. So I don't think that that's going to be a factor here. Yeah. Kind of, it was kind of just, it was a performance heavy movie. So yeah. when you have a rest, the rest of the cast, the main cast getting nominations, it, it feels like they kind of, she got lumped in and in, in that sort of way. That was a, it was a tough category. That was a tough category this year, I think. I think it's one of the toughest, to be honest with yeah. you. Supporting actor, on the other hand, who do we have? We have... Brendan Gleeson for Banshees of Anna Sharon, Brian Tyree Henry for Causeway, Judd Hirsch for The Fablemans, Kihi Kwan for Everything Everywhere, Barry Kogan for Banshees. Kihi Kwan. Kihi Kwan. I, yeah. I think yeah. it's it's elevated first as this is the first movie he's been in in like, what, 20 years, and he just comes out swinging with this. So I think that sort of the social media kind of aspect uh, has has helped him out. It I do think that was the best performance of the year. He was the star of that movie, in my eyes. Like, he was always fun to see on screen. And just the the switching constantly. <laughs> and every role he played in the alternate in alternate universes. And I'm like, I loved seeing him on screen just as much as I loved seeing the lead. I, he's already won two awards for it. Yep. And I think the story alone, how uh, he talked about how he couldn't get a job like at all after like he filmed this movie and he was scared to tell people that he was in it until after the trailers had come out and he called up the directors and said hey guys can you please tell me was i good was i good in this movie because it hadn't come out yet right and he's like please can you tell me was i good because no one's hiring me i lost my health care because he couldn't pay for it anymore he lost his health care benefits because he didn't have an income anymore. So he couldn't pay for his health care. And he's like, was I good? And they told him to shut up, <laughs> you know, and, and to, to come from from not being in anything to getting this role to struggling to even find a role afterwards to winning these awards. And his acceptance speeches were great, um, especially on on the topic of, of uh, having more roles for Asian Americans and so on and so forth that I think he's the no brain winner. And I don't think there's competition. One quick note is I think Judd Hirsch getting a nomination is weird. He was in like three scenes. He was good, but like, I, I don't know. I feel like Paul Dano should have got a nomination for as the father in um, in The Fablemans over him. I think if he was in it more, if there was more of his character, Uncle Boris, I think his name was, then maybe that would have helped. I don't know if it's because the Academy just likes Judd Hirsch. That was a very weird nomination to me. Actress in a leading role. Kate Blanchett for Ty, Anna Diamas for Blonde, Andrea Riseborough for Two Leslie, Michelle Williams for The Fablemans, Michelle Yeoh for Everything Everywhere. So I know that a lot of people want Michelle Yeoh to win. I'm not saying that she won't. I think it would be very close, but I'm leaning a lot more towards Tar. I think that Kate Blanchett kind of has it in the bag almost. I think the level of detail that Kate Blanchett brings to absolutely everything she does 
it's just undeniable. My vote was for Tar, but my could possibly was to Michelle Yeoh. Like that movie was just really, really good in its performances because the entire movie was performance driven. So it was tough, but my votes for Kate. My, if you my, asked me two months ago, I would think before the nominations came out, I would say that uh, Michelle Williams had a solid chance. It's not to say that she doesn't. I think that she's due for an award at this point. And her performance was great in the movie. It might be the best performance in the movie. But uh, I just think that she might be a bit overshadowed this time around. Yeah, I think she's just mm. overshadowed from Quan. I think I think he in the supporting role for the movie is going to take it. And I think he overshadows her here, even in that. I know you're talking about overshadowed in in the actress in a leading role, but because they're both in the same movie, um, I think everyone's going to focus on on his performance for this movie yeah. specifically, and they're going to kind of be like, "Oh, put him up for supporting actor. We want him to be supporting actor." And because of that, I think Michelle's going to kind of fall on the side when they're considering the the leading role because they're like, "Oh, um, Quan already won it for the movie," so I, that's why I think I think Kate has a better chance. I agree that Michelle Williams, I think, unfortunately, for the fifth time, is going to be the bridesmaid. Ana de Amis, I don't know how she got in there. Andrea Her performance Ra- wasn't that good. It was, she cried a lot, and she didn't really hide her accent. She just looked a lot like Marilyn Monroe, but it's, it's but that's more casting than a performance. Yeah. And on top of that, that movie was awful. Uh, that was depressing to watch. It was, like, bad. Yeah, I, I didn't finish it. I tried twice, and I, both times I just ended up. I skipped through it just to watch her performances. It was just, just gross and cynical, and honestly, kind of disrespectful because barely any of that actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. Actor in a leading role, we have Austin Butler for Elvis, Colin Farrell for Banshees of Venice Sharon, Brendan Fraser for The Whale, Paul Meskel for After Sun, and of course, Bill Nye for Living. I've seen all of these except for Living, and I'm going to be very cynical, but I think it's going to go to Austin Butler. I think the Academy, it's, I know, I think it's going to be a Bohemian Rhapsody event. I think it, Brendan Fraser deserves it. I think that he's the one that should be getting it, but I think the Academy likes it when they're like, oh, you look and sound just like the, the actual person. And also Austin Butler, I don't know if it's him or his agency or whoever, they're kind of having this social media like parade forum of, oh, he still talks like Elvis and he might never talk the same again. That, That's what, what I was going to say. Yeah. He needs a new narrative because if I but, see uh, one more article about him unable to lose the accent or how he might have damaged his vocal cords. He just, yeah. He I mean, how many times like can you hear that? And he danced like Elvis. But that was... I, I don't think he, he captured the, the essence of Elvis. Of no, he didn't. Uh, it was kind of doing his own thing. And it was a good performance. I think it was yeah. like kind of the thing that kind of held the, the movie together. But I really I really would like it to go to Brendan Fraser. Uh, if not, Colin Farrell. Uh, mm. I thought Colin Farrell's performance was fantastic. He was phenomenal. Yeah, I'm happy I mean, with either Brendan or Colin. Yeah, I mean, Austin Butler, like, yeah, he was the main character. But it just didn't feel like he was the folk of the movie you know mm. what i mean like i felt more connected to the colonel and and hearing about like what yeah. he was doing like like he was, mm. it was this, like it felt like it was a story about him with elvis as the set piece which it kind of was if you think about it yeah. I mean, he yeah. was the first person that was kind of like amadeus where mm. the person who you think is the one who's at the center of the story the person whose name is the title of the film sort of serves the the, the framework you know of the one who's telling the story 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, I could see that. I honestly, I really see the Academy giving it to him. I really see the Academy giving it to him. So like my, my prediction is that he is that it's going to go to Elvis. That's my prediction. But if it doesn't go to Brendan Fraser, I'm going to be, I'm going to be heartbroken because he did so good. He did such a he, great job in that movie. He did great, and also this was his comeback. Uh, yeah. So they might get it for, for that thing as a career, sort of like, hey, you were treated like crap for the last 10, 15 years, but now your career is back on track, and everyone loves you. So I could see the Academy giving it partly for that reason, and also because he deserves it, I think. Yeah. Colin Farrell is great. Colin Farrell is always great. Colin Farrell, and I'm blanking on his name, but uh, in After Sun, his performance was very good as well. Yeah. Best director. So we have Banshees of Sharon, Matt and McDonough, Everything Everywhere, The Daniels, The Fableman, Steven Spielberg, and then we have Tar and Triangle of Sadness. I think that they're going to give it to Spielberg because it's a movie about movies, which they love. It's a movie about himself. The Academy loves him. Because his career is clearly slowing down. He's probably going to retire within the next 10 years or so. So they're probably going <laughs> to give it to him as sort of like a like a career award, a legacy award. I could also see it going to the Daniels. I could very much see it going to the Daniels. I, I think it's between the two of them. The Fableman was definitely like Academy bait. It, it was is made Oscar bait. for yeah. I love the movie. It was my favorite Academy. movie last year, but it was Oscar bait. Great movie. I enjoyed it. But it was there for an Oscar. It was there for the Academy, which is unfortunate because it was very much a labor of love for him. Like he made it for him, which is great when a director makes a movie for themselves because because you get to see a lot of them in the movie. So I I, I can for that. I, I see it, the Academy giving it to him, but I, I want to go to the Daniels. I'd like to see it go to the Daniels. I see Spielberg getting it for all the reasons that both of you mentioned. The Daniels. I'm not going to say they're the ingenues because that would be inaccurate. But in terms of mainstream films that everybody is talking about, they're sort of the new kids on the block. So yeah. I can see them being mm -hmm. rewarded for bursting onto the scene with such style. It's a toss up. I suppose if I had to pick between one of the two, I'll be eating my words no matter which one I say. So I'm just going to call heads or tails and I'll go with the Daniels. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to predict the Daniels as well. We have two screenplay categories. We have the adapted and the original. Adapted screenplay is All Quiet, Glass Onion, Living, Top Gun Maverick, Women Talking. I think it's going to go to Women Talking. That's another one. It, it's only up for two nominations this year, and they probably don't want it to walk away empty-handed, although it was kind of a lesser-known movie. But I think that it's just it's, it was a very dialogue-heavy movie. I just saw it last night. It's based on a well-received book, and I, that's just kind of one of the elements that people really liked about it was its screenplay. I could also see it going to All Quiet. I, that was a very close second. But I could also see it going to Glass Onion. So, yeah, for, for me, it's women talking. But I I wouldn't be surprised if it, it went to All Quiet. I mean, you know, all, all Quiet based off a book as well. And there was a previous movie for to that it had to, you know, compare to. I actually kind of want to throw Top Gun Maverick in the ring here. A yep. little, like, Underflyer, because... In, it in it an improved era, upon the first one. In an era where sequels bomb where sequels and remakes aren't doing so great right now. You know, like the Jurassic World sequels were not good. The, uh, the remake Jam 2. Things, Space Jam 2. I mean, they're remaking a lot of stuff. They're making sequels for things out of nowhere. 
and they're just not doing great. I mean, Tom Cruise himself said that he was never going to make it, make a um, sequel to Top Gun. There was no reason he was never going to do it. And then the dude that proposed it to him, taught, like he gave him five minutes, yeah, like five minutes to, to convince him, and he convinced Tom Cruise to make a make a the Top Gun two. I, I want to throw Top Gun Maverick in the ring there as as, as possibly making it because to make a sequel to an already phenomenal movie like Top Gun, which is you know widely loved and appreciated, to be better than Top Gun. Oh, you're just biased because you're in the Air Force. Oh, Top Gun's <laughs> Navy. Thank you very much. Well, there's, there's still planes and they go whoosh. <laughs> I, I'd like to throw Top Gun Maverick in the ring there. And that brings us to original screenplay, which is Banshees of Sharon, Everything Everywhere, The Fablemans, Triangle of Sadness, Ta. I want to say Everything Everywhere. I could totally eat my words if I'm wrong here. But I see it going to the Banshees of Inisherin. Everything Everywhere is a phenomenal script, but it deals with a lot of concepts that aren't really easy to understand, at least on a first watch for a lot of viewers. Whereas Banshees of Inisherin, Mark McDonough is a phenomenal writer. He's known just as much for writing like Seven Psychopaths and Bruges, Three Billboards, mm-hmm. as he is a director. And this ha- it was a very solid script. I would say there there is an ounce of fat on it. Every line it's a hilarious movie it's heartbreaking so i think that it's going it also has just subtext of the war with the ira going on right across the on the other side of in in, in ireland whereas like here he's just dealing with something that's so small and everything so i think it's going to banshees wouldn't be surprised if it went to um uh everything everywhere my prediction is banshees for this i loved banshees of initiate i thought it was great i thought the whole the whole feuding friendship dynamic and the absurdity of a lot of it, I thought it was just really great. Every moment of it felt like felt purposeful. The the interactions and dialogue, and there was a lot of very natural conversations. Yeah, I can see it going to everything ever all at once, but I feel like the strengths of everything ever all at once wasn't in the screenplay. It was in the performances. It was in the performances, it was in the editing, it was in the directing, it was in all of that. My vet bet is on Banshees because I don't really see it winning much else either. I call Banshees. I do. But I also think that if the Daniels do not get original screenplay, then they'll get directing. I yes. cannot see them not getting either one of them. Something, I see them yeah. getting at least one. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think they're going to get directing and Banshees is going to get original screenplay. And that brings us to the final category of, except for two years ago, the final category of the evening, (laughs) best motion picture of the year. So we have a total of 10. We have All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar The Way of Water, Banshees of Inisherin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Ta, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, Women Talking. I'm going to go Everything Everywhere. I think it's really up between Avatar, Everything Everywhere, and Talk on Maverick. Really? I think, like, recently, Best Pictures kind of absorbed Most Popular. Most Popular existed for a second, and and that's what... And when people think Best Picture, they think Most Popular. And that's, I think, what the Academy's kind of been pushing it towards, is also, like, what's the most popular, and, like, what's the safest, and what's the safest is usually the most popular. So I think... Avatar, Top Gun, Maverick, and Everything Everywhere All at Once are the top contenders. At least what I think. Yeah. Everyone loves Top Gun, Maverick that saw it. Everyone loved it. There there wasn't really conflict around it. It was just accepted as... Very solid. Just made a big cultural impact. 
it was just widely accepted as the best movie when it came out, you know, and the only thing that was going to top it was going to be Avatar the way of water when it came out and Avatar the way of water came out. And, you know, yeah, it, it made, made a splash, it made a splash. Oh, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> I am so glad that I did. Um, I don't actually see it going to Avatar the way of water because Avatar the way of water was a technical movie. It had that James Cameron action that never fails to disappoint. Yeah, so I I guess I don't see it going to Avatar, <laughs> but I think Top Gun Maverick is one of the popular votes. And everything everywhere all at once kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, it was it was a sleeper hit, and it's also just it's a very accessible movie too. And I think the Academy knowingly pushed a lot of those movies like Elvis, Top Gun, Avatar, everything everywhere, movies that were very accessible to the mainstream. Uh, yeah. They pushed a lot of those because they know that'll jack up ratings. Yeah, I don't see it going to All Quiet, unfortunately, uh, as much as I think that movie is phenomenal. It's going to win Best Foreign Feature, but it's not going to win Best Picture. No way the Banshees is going to win. Uh, um, I'd be okay I, if I, it did like win. But... I, I'd be okay if it did, absolutely. I'd riot if Elvis won. I would be very annoyed if Elvis won. That would be a Green Book moment for me. It would not be a pretty picture. Yeah. So like I look at the list and say, who could win this? And I'm like, Top Gun Maverick and everything ever all at once. That's the one I'm going with is everything everywhere. Yeah, that's my prediction as well. The cynical side of me says the Fablemans might win. I for for just kind of a career reason. I don't think it will, but I think it's in the realm of possibility. Could it? Could it reasonably win Best Picture? It might. <laughs> but why might it why 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 like I, said, I think it's just kind of a career thing it's a movie about movies which the academy eats up and it's just it's a very like seemingly heartwarming movie it's a movie like i showed it to my 80 year olds aunt and uncle when they came here for christmas and they loved it so it appeals to a lot of those older academy voters so mm. yeah for for a lot of those reasons eh, i i think that it might win. I don't think it will, but I, I think it's in the realm of possibility. So it, so is, is the cons- popular consensus that everything everywhere is the vote? I think that's, 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 what's that's win. where I see the Oscar going is everything yeah. everywhere. And I'd be okay with that. that. I'm, I'm perfectly content. Oh, I would be super happy if everything everywhere got uh, Best Picture. I think it's well deserving of it because that movie was awesome. Before we close, I, I want to make sure that I give the both of you a chance to talk about any projects that you have in the works or any future plans that you might want to that you might want to mention. Well, I'm still active on my both my YouTube channels. One is called Delta Vision. That's where I do a lot more like YouTuber esque videos. Like uh, I just did a video comparing the Last of Us TV show to the Halo TV show. I do a lot of of that sort of thing. Uh, whereas I also have my short film channel. It's Make the Line Films. I try, I don't do it as much. I try to, I'm trying to get better at finding time too, but that's where I post a lot of my short films that I enter into festivals, things like that. A lot of career stuff. I just uh, made a fan edit trailer for Babylon, which I posted on there, which that that was pretty fun to make. And right now, uh, just so the audience can hold me to this, uh, I'm working on a project where I'm watching through and reviewing every movie that's ever won Best Picture. Been, it's been great it's been terrible but uh look out for that within the next couple months yeah speaking of short films and more professional works uh me and brendan and another friend of mine from uh college 
actually recently just filed paperwork for a um, independent studio we're putting together to kind of give a credibility behind our independent films that we're trying to put out and our independent written works that we're working on. There's a lot of um, books, comics, uh, graphic novels that we've also been putting a lot of time and effort into. Uh, and we're throwing is all these ideas together into one studio called sleepy time studio and we just filed the llc paperwork for it so we're hopefully to finally give ourselves some credibility in the industry in the field at least give us kind of a foundation to start building off of you gotta start somewhere you know yeah sounds like you've already started congratulations <laughs> congratulations you. to you. both of you really cool stuff thank you again for being on silver screeners and i cannot wait to have you both back on it was an absolute pleasure, just as always. I'm I, like you said, I'm glad that we were able to find mutual time to do this. And uh, if ever you're looking to talk about, I don't know, the the legacy of Weird Al or something, if that's, <laughs> uh, an episode you'd love to do, I'd be happy to be there. But any, anything, I, I'd be down to be on the show again. I mean, anytime, for any reason, for any topic, I will find a way to make space in my busy schedule to talk about movies. Always. Zach, you're needed for this assignment. I'm busy. <laughs> uh, hey so sounds good to me thank you both that was brendan and zach two great guys i can't wait to have back on at some point but before we close out there's just one more thing the listener trivia segment In each episode, there is a different trivia question that's directly, and sometimes indirectly, related to the movies or the cast and crew involved. I announce the first name and last initial of anyone who sends in a response, whether your answer is right or wrong. And in addition to a shout-out in the next episode, if you provide your email, you'll get a movie-related meme sent with a personalized greeting, and give any trivia question from any Silver Screeners episode a try. Whether you're listening to an episode from two years or two weeks ago, it is never too late. You will get your meme and your shout-out, no matter how recent or far back the question is. And if you're a creator, if you write music, design websites, make films, podcasts, if you're an author, anything at all, I gotcha. Always happy to give your stuff a shout-out, because people help people, and that is all there is to it in this world. Last time, we looked at Kate Blanchett's film Ta, currently up for Best Picture, and 2014's Whiplash, which got an Oscar for J.K. Simmons for Supporting Actor. And the question was, which 1989 film stars Morgan Freeman as another educator slash dubious role model? He plays the newly appointed principal of an inner-city high school in Patterson, New Jersey. And the answer is, lean on me. A movie-themed meme with a personalized greeting is on its way to the following in no particular order. All the way from Milan, Italy, Nick from the Gold Standard Oscars podcast, which takes a dive in each episode into a different Best Picture Academy Award winner. He and his co-hosts, Zan and Rachel, bring a lot of insight into all of their episodes. Definitely a show worth checking out. And Nick, a virtual fist bump from Massachusetts to Milan, one M to another. There's also Mike W., my former co-host of the show Real Life, that's R-E-E-L, that we did for a few years for the local cable station in town. Mike will be guesting on this podcast shortly to talk about the Banshees of Inna Sharon, so stay tuned for that one. And there's also Mary C., a longtime listener and a member of the Facebook group Silver Screeners. As always, Mary, thank you and great to hear from you. And lastly, my buddy Chris from the Movie Psycho podcast, great show to check out, who also keeps this trivia segment alive and well. Keep your eyes open for those memes, everybody, and to anyone else listening, no time like the present. Join the trivia. It's easy, fun, and free. Who could want anything more?
And you can begin with this episode's question. Chinese-American actor Ki Hui Kwan is currently up for Best Supporting Actor for Everything Everywhere All at Once. But as a child actor of the 80s, he had two films on his resume that were both hits, both Steven Spielberg films, 1985's The Goonies and one of the Indiana Jones films. In which Indiana Jones film does he play the character Short Round? Is it A, Raiders of the Lost Ark, B, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, or C, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? Just send in your answers. And if you have any follow-up questions or have any comments on anything from today's episode or any episode that you've listened to, just hit me up on my socials. Once again, that's FilmBuff1974 on Twitter, the film group Silver Screen is on Facebook, Frank Mendoza1974 on Instagram, or you can email silverscreenispod at gmail.com. And that does it for episode 82. And as I say at the conclusion every time, a big thank you once again for listening. Be sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Please give Silver Screeners a rating on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It does help to boost the show's visibility in these platforms. It makes the algorithms happy, and that only means that more people can discover the show. Catch you next time. My name is Frank, wishing you good health, good weather, and good movies. And until next time, keep on screening. And I leave you now with the soothing sounds of Jamie Lee Curtis as she wins Best Supporting Actress for Everything Everywhere All at Once, joyfully jumps from her seat, and rushes to the podium, away from Michael Myers.